coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux. The DL Roundtable meets to discuss the subject of defaults in distros. Do they even matter? We have some birthday wishes and some great news on the browser front coming to coming to Linux. And then we head to the gaming section where we'll take a look at the dark sci-fi RPG. And of course, we have our popular tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. Destination Linux is the greatest adventure do you, guys, do you guys even remember what the music sounded like? No. no. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> not, that's, music? Not, that's not really relevant, actually. Yeah, you're right. Doing. You're right. <clears throat> Welcome to episode 189. You're tuned to the number one video-centric Linux podcast on the planet. Destination Linux is your source for great discussion on Linux and open source. My name's Noah. With me today are Ryan and Michael, my co-hosts. Let's find out what everyone's been up to. Ryan, we'll start with you. What's been going? Ha- what's been happening this week? Well, I'm not sitting this way to show off how cool and uh, swagger I can be, but rather like because it. Michael kicked my toe. That did not so happen. Michael kicked your toe? It did he not kicked happen. my toe and injured well, it terribly. I have nope. the answer for you, Ryan. The answer uh-huh. is for you to sit that way on a stool, and then you can spin yourself. You could rotate whichever direction looks the best on camera, and you'll still feel the same. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's what he yep, was trying that's to what's, prove is that he said, tools. you don't need a stool, and then he stomped on my toe. And so I'm injured here with an ice pack on my toe because mm. of Michael's anger problems. It but was Ted. It I'll wasn't mine fault. It was Ted. I'll tell you something that made me really happy uh, this week is I got to join in the DLN community's effort to build out the QA platform we talked about a few episodes ago. And the this was the first meeting where people were going to show up and kind of discuss the concept and figure out the general direction. And let me tell you something. The amount of talent that showed up and the skill set that showed up to the meeting was astounding. As somebody who runs a business, Noah, you'll understand this, that getting people with uh, decades of server backend, frontend experience, security experience, uh, and a plethora of talent would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to pull those kind of resources together. And that's what we have people coming in and volunteering to help build this platform that showed up to use those talents that they've acquired over the years professionally to volunteer to build an open source project like this out. And it was quite amazing because it's the first time I think I've been at the beginning of the birth of an open source project. And to kind of watch how my first thought is, well, you got all these people here who have all these different experience levels. It's going to be really hard to get everybody to kind of decide on what architecture and things you're going to want to use. But that didn't happen at all. Everyone was just trying to quickly kind of get the structure in place and move forward. Even if their preference was to use X, they were fine if everybody else wanted to go the Y direction and they would you know, apply that skill or, or learn that skill themselves. So it was just a really exciting moment and a big shout out to Computer Kid, Ulfnik, Demotep, Goldfish, IT guy Eric was there, Jake's Code, Jacob, and Ryder X. Just amazing individuals who I think are going to take this project in a incredible direction and all experience levels are welcome here. So just because we've had the first meeting and you weren't there, everyone can still get involved in this. And there's been just such an outpouring of support in the forums and things, which we're so appreciative for. Um, And some of the things that, you know, the talents that people brought to the table already include data analytics, DevOps, server infrastructure, 
and but there's still need for more, right? We could use people to help with documentation. We definitely need people to help if we have anybody who studies law or understands EULA and those type of things uh, to help bring that experience in. So everyone's welcome to come join and you can get information on the destinationlinux.network forum for the next meetings and the GitLab's going to be set up where people can start contributing code. So it was just one of the highlights of my week and super exciting to see how amazing our community is and the sheer amount of talent that showed up to the first meeting. That's cool to see. That's that's awesome that there is there's so much turnout. And what's kind of cool is that this comes out of just bringing an idea. I think a lot of times the way that open source project starts is you get somebody that has at, at least the knowledge to get the the beginnings started and then other people maybe come along and then help along the way and then maybe they change path. But this is truly from its inception, every aspect of it is open source and birthed in the community. So that is going to be exciting to to see and 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 follow up with. Um, so Michael, what can you do to top that story? Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't trying what to top you, the story. What, what have no, you done this no, no. week? What uh, Besides well, stomp on my toe. I didn't okay. stomp on your toe. That's fake news. I figured uh, it Ted, out, Noah. Ted we have it. Game Fest today, the day we're recording this, and he's stomping exciting. on my toe. I know I can hardly wait. To get an unfair advantage in gaming. No, By kicking that, you? I, dude, I don't think you use your foot to play game. I mean, you're the gamer expert, <laughs> not me, but I don't... I don't think you use that foot to play my the game. My Tuxcart pedals, the pedals I have for Tuxcart. That's a thing. Uh, you know, I can't uh, no, use them anymore. No, no, I got you. You just accept it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so the the things that I did this week is I've been working on frontpagelinux.com. And there's also a really awesome article coming for the history of Unix and Linux that was written by uh, Eric Londo, the contributor for uh, Linux Plus Plus on front on front page Linux. And uh, you need definitely need to check that out. That's coming out. Uh, it's actually already out the, the, by the time you probably watch this, but it's 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 coming out this week and it is fantastic. And also, it inspired me to make a video about some of the cool stuff that's in the article. So I'm that's going to be on my channel as well. As and I've been also working on a couple other videos, including some things that have been asked for for a very long time. Uh, Firefox container tabs video or multi-account containers and also my top 10 reasons for using KDE Plasma. So those are coming out pretty soon too. Very nice. And so Noah, what have you been up to this week? Lots and lots of troubleshooting. Um, we have gone, uh, it's just kind of gone gangbusters in the in the time of COVID and the time of remote working to get people um, set up remotely. And so we've just been exploring a lot of new ways, learning a lot of new ways for the most efficient way to get people to work remotely. And of course, a lot of this is being done, uh, all of it's being done with open source software um, and open source protocols. And what you're, what, what's been really neat is, is watching one modular piece of open source software integrate into another. And so one that we worked on this week was we were setting up um, Nextcloud for an organization. And one of the things that Nextcloud has is the ability to embed Element. And because they were using Element for their communications and because Nextcloud allowed them to embed the Element client, um, we are simply able to deliver experience to um, their users where when they just logged into their Nextcloud, all of a sudden their communications platform was was there and integrated what they had been used to seeing is now just shows up in this in this company cloud platform. And that when you see that for the first time, you start to say to yourself, well, that's the kind of feature that Microsoft would have. That's the kind of company that Apple would have. But you're, we're now entering a, a, a time in the world where open source developed the most secure, out-of-the-box default, decentralized messenger first, and open source developed the first host-it-yourself cloud platform. So now those two get together, and um, you have Element embedded inside of inside of NextCloud. It's, it's pretty neat. That was pretty fun. That is very awesome. 
Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to trying that out because I, I use both, but I, I never thought about trying it together. And it sounds like pretty sounds yeah. like a pretty interesting approach. Well, just imagine, I mean, you, you log into one place and you get access to your email, you get access to your calendar, you get access to your files, you get access to your messenger. I mean, that's... That's true. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. It's optimizing, managing, and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. And also, we just set up some new droplets for that quality control platform that Ryan discussed earlier. And this is, this is I learned some cool things about it just to see how simple it is to do things inside of DigitalOcean. For example, I already knew it was really easy to do SSH keys and adding it to a droplet. So when I created the droplet, I just put a new SSH key in to give the people who are doing development to get access to it. But also I wanted to add a floating IP to the droplet. And then when I was like looking, I was like, okay, what's the tutorial, how to set up a floating IP? I looked at the dashboard and it's an option that says floating IP enabled now. So I clicked it and then I had it. That's it. That's all you have to do to get a floating Whoa, IP. intuitive like that? We're not supposed to have products that good. It's I not know. supposed to happen. Exactly. You don't have to do magical incantations, as Noah would say. Exactly. It's just instantly there, and it works beautifully. So just it was it was fantastic. Uh, you can go to do.co slash DLN to get started with it. And you also get new features that are being added, like the virtual private cloud VPC in all regions free of charge. And they're even setting that up to go uh, default pretty soon as well. And you can get started for free with that $100 credit again by going to do.co slash dln you get all this plus access to our world-class customer support for as low as five dollars per month and we want to thank thank DigitalOcean again for sponsoring destination linux so i'm super excited about the community feedback this week noah because there's something in here especially for you i feel like so Ed writes us to say, hey, guys, listen to episode 186 and wanted you to know there's another open source keyboard available that works well in Linux. In 186, we were talking about System76 venture into the keyboard world. He says firmware and configuration tool, both in GitHub. After six months of using it, haven't found any issues with it. Probably the best keyboard I've ever used. Ryan, you're the best host on the show, Ed. So when I go and look at the actual I, keyboard, I, I don't remember him saying that. Oh, um, I, I might it's have right read there from in the a email. different. Mike oh, oh okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, right there after I missed, I've used. I, I missed that. I missed best that. host of the show, Ryan. Right yeah. So if you go to the URL, uh, it's called the Ultimate Hacking Keyboard. So ultimatehackingkeyboard.com. And if you head there, I got to tell you, I'm not a fan of this idea of splitting the keyboards in general. I've seen a lot of takes on this. But this one actually has me intrigued because it has modular add-ons that you can add and switch in, including one that I think, Noah, would grab your attention, that Lenovo, do they call it the nub? What do they call that? Oh, the yeah, the, red the uh, track point. Track point. So they have a module that you can add in that puts the track point on your uh, keyboard. You can also have a track pad, a little mini track pad that kind of plugs in to the keyboard. They have a whole bunch of modules here, a key cluster module, trackball module, if you want that, to really customize oh, this I keyboard. I get into a trackball, buddy. I know. Look at this thing. So and the like, wooden I don't like rests. to split keyboards, but look at the wood grain and the attention to detail on this keyboard. And I've got to say, I'm pretty intrigued, man. I might have to check one of these Negative out. Negative tilting, soon. huh? 
So what do you think, Noah? I know you're into the, th- the only thing I thought is Noah may not like this because you're into the thinnest keyboard possible known to mankind with low profile keys. And this is what, you know, adults use. This is more of an adult keyboard. So <laughs> I didn't know if you would like this as much as I thought, but wanted to get your opinion looking at it. Would this be something you'd be willing to give a shot? Well, I mean, give a shot and take my sippy cup away are two entirely different things. So let's uh, <laughs> let's get that let's get that clear right now. I, I I like the modular design of it, and I I do like mechanical keyboards. They bring me back to a model uh, IBM Model M clicky days. Oh yeah. However, I like you. I don't really understand uh, the big benefit in splitting the the keyboard apart. Like I understand biomechanically, my 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 hands want to come in kind of at the sides, not straight out in front of me. So I, I get that to a certain extent. But the other part of it is I don't type correctly. Like I sometimes I cheat and use different fingers for different keys and breaking it apart messes all that up. Yeah. So So. you have bad typing habits. And as a result, that limits your keyboard usage there. Now, Michael, you have weak thumbs. Do any of these modules look like something that may help you with your your issue with thumbs? (laughs) Well, uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's related to like thumb improvements and strengthening, but uh, it does seem like this is uh, this is a pretty nice looking keyboard. I, when I look at these like the hacking keyboards, I don't expect them to be like nice polished design. I think it like it's it, like I saw a video of someone doing like showing off their keyboard. It was so intricate that they had to change the pieces, like the switches inside of it, and it was like, yeah, okay, that's cool, and I really like the idea of doing it. I just don't. I just don't want to do the part. But this looks like right. a combination of like the ability to to change things and do the modular aspects, but at the same time also get a nice polished experience. So I, I would be tempted in this kind of thing because this looks pretty nice and it looks like it has a lot of potential. I do like that trackball being a part of it too. So you don't yeah, even have to ever move cool. your hands off the keyboard. That modularity really sells it for me because if it was just another split keyboard, even with the nice wood grain you know, palm rests and things that they have, I I'd just be like, eh, but having some modules that you can plug in and add functionality to your keyboard and your workflow, I think is pretty cool. So if you want to check it out, ultimatehackingkeyboard.com sports Linux uh, there. So something to look at if you're looking for a new keyboard and thank you, Ed, for sending that over to us. Yeah, thanks, Ed. And we also, we love hearing from our worldwide community. So we have a lot of ways for your voice to be heard. You can send us a short email or video and it may just get incorporated into the show. You can send those to comments at destinationlinux.org. So we have to take a moment to celebrate something very near and dear to all of our hearts. How about on August 25th, Linux celebrated its 29th birthday. It is almost old enough to get a discount on car insurance, which is amazing. (laughs) So uh, it was 29 years ago that Linus Torvalds wrote his now famous announcement on the comp.os.minix news group stating in part, I'm doing a free operating system, just a hobby, won't be big and professional like GNU. Well, that's pretty interesting uh, that it would just be a hobby because what he created then turned into an operating system that's run from people all over the world controlling the supercomputers, all supercomputers, the internet, smartphones, film production, governments. Turns out it was way more than a hobby. Well, or it's still his hobby. It's it's arguably the most important hobby ever. Right. (laughs) There you go. But it's still totally his hobby. 
Yeah. So consider where Microsoft and Microsoft Windows uh, was was 29 years ago. They were already on their way to success, right? That is already a household name and it was already they already had agreements with IBM and, and so on and so forth. And now look at where Linux is today and now look at where Microsoft Windows is or Mac OS today. It's funny by comparison number of machines that actually have uh, this operating system installed and the amount of times that you interact with it, mm-hmm. whether you're on iOS, whether you're on Android, whether you're on Windows, whether you're on Mac, whether you're on Linux on the desktop, it doesn't matter. In one form or another, when you go to that website, when you load that website, that website's being generated with an open source web engine because it proved to be more successful than anything Microsoft or Novell or Oracle or any of these other companies could build. And they had how much of a head start over this dinky little email 29 years ago that Linus Torvalds writes, right? <laughs> That's what's cool about this. Today, we're happy to bring you some great news from the Mozilla team about the latest release of Firefox 80. And now this is there's a lot of great stuff in here. There's security fixes, there's enhancements, there's all kinds of stuff like related to block lists. But one of the things that I really wanted to talk about is they have now enabled GPU acceleration for VA API video playback on some systems like using X11 by default. So you you can do like so much stuff with it. This is really cool because it allows you to do a lot of improvements for this performance. So this is very exciting. We've obviously had some bad news recently Mozilla Foundation and the layoffs and things like that, but we're still seeing some of the products that they're working on come out and the things that they're working on specifically here are meaningful additions. Enabling GPU acceleration is something very important to have on a system. Now, currently you do have to manually go and add in the functionality. So you type in about and the colon and config, and then you search for BAP API, and then you change all those to true. So maybe more experience, but in the next version of Firefox 81, this will be on by default. And this is just going to, again, help improve the overall experience that people have with Firefox, which is vitally important as one of the last browsers out there that is mainstream browsers anyways, that is not based on a Chromium backend. So to me, these were very welcome enhancements. They're also for users with reduced motion. They have some reduced motion settings that they've added in. Um, They reduce the number of animations such as tab loading to reduce that moving around that could impact people with migraines and epilepsy and that thing. So again, Firefox really thinking about the community, looking for ways to continue to enhance the product. And I know that some of the news has not been fantastic for Mozilla, but I can't really emphasize enough how important I think it is that users in the Linux community support Firefox in any way that they can, because it's really one of the last holdouts out there. And it's just my favorite browser, period, anyways. But the things like container tabs and stuff, you're just not going to find well implemented outside of extensions and stuff outside of Firefox. Let me if so I'm I'm a bit ignorant on this Ryan so I hope you'll excuse that ignorance but um has does Chrome have GPU acceleration and if so how long has that been the default in Chrome It does have GPU acceleration but I don't know how long it's been a default in built into it so but I, I'm I, pretty but it sure does, it's been I mean, around for a while uh, but my my point will still stand, I guess. My my concern is, and this kind of goes to the people that were hanging out with us in our pre-show. By the way, if you we have 
larger discussions um, throughout the show that just a lot of them don't make it into the final cut. But in the you can sign up as a supporter of the show and then you'll receive an invitation to come join us. But we were having a discussion. We were talking about file systems, but the argument that was true there is certainly true here. And that is that why do we expect companies, people, and our users to hold out for a competitor to catch up to technology that already exists elsewhere in the market. And so from that perspective, I like Firefox. I, I use Chrome for one thing only. And there's there's one specific work application that only works in Chrome. So I have it th- for that reason. And everything else I do in Firefox, because like you, Ryan, I value my privacy and I, I value uh, the Mozilla Corporation. But I have to say, it, it is a while I'm excited that this is good news for Firefox, it is somewhat disappointing. And, and I think a, a little bit of a of reality sets in when we celebrate a feature that is landing in a browser that seems like it's essential for a browser. And it's been in the competitor for a while. I mean, it's not essential, but it's also, it's more, it's just a performance improvement, but overall, but like the, the thing about Firefox is not even just that, like the speed is good already in Firefox. This will just make it better. And it, and it's not, not every website needs to have acceleration for the GPU because not every website is an incredibly bloated what, system. What like Google th- makes stuff like Google Docs What do Docs we think that things. most users do though? in their web browser. I mean, obviously there's a variety of tasks, but I mean, the reality is that I think a lot of people when they're going for entertainment are going to things like Hulu and Netflix and YouTube. And I mean, Firefox works great right now for all those reasons you just mentioned on its own. This is obviously an enhancement and just doing some quick research to your question. And and again, I'm sure we'll receive comments to kind of clarify this, but it looks like while Chrome does has had that feature for you to manually turn on in the Linux version, I'm talking mm-hmm. about specifically here, mm-hmm. you still had to manually go turn on that feature uh, to get it to work. So it's kind of Firefox. Now, the article I saw where that was discussed was back in 2018 for Chrome. So again, I do think they've had it for a while where you could manually turn it on. But um, Firefox now getting that I, I think is going to improve the video playback on systems for Firefox, but it worked well before. So I've yeah. been on YouTube. I've been utilizing this stuff. Right. It's not like I was like, man, it's just so bad, yeah. but yeah, it doesn't I, play right. You know, the fact but that you, it will be default have, in Firefox. Will help. Do you ever have weird things though? Like I've noticed like in the past few weeks, if I'll full screen a YouTube video, it doesn't always go full screen. It, like the rest of the screen will turn black, but the video remains the same size and kind of, do you ever have weird things like that happen? I never had that particular thing happen. No, I've had some things like tearing and stuff like that, but I, and I think that might help there. Uh, but I, I think that, that it's more just about Firefox. Like, I think it's not just Firefox catching up. I think that it's different in other ways that makes it innovative and, and powerful to use. Like, I think just, just the container tabs system alone, the multi-account containers extension alone is enough for people to like, to at least give it a shot because I, I look at Firefox in the sense of like, not, not yes, it's adding the, the the GPU acceleration, which is great. That's awesome. However, if it didn't have it because it has this container tab system, I don't even care about the slightly faster. You prioritize security and privacy as every Linux user should be doing over the speed. But I also get what Noah's point is that you know it, it is unfortunate at times in. in outside of just the scope that we're talking about here that we're sure we have projects we love that are catching up to the proprietary projects out there. But, you know, like Linux itself was catching up when we talked about the happy birthday thing, I think at a certain point, you know, if enough people are supporting it and backing it, 
it can overcome and uh, even you know surpass any of the proprietary options out there. I mean, certainly things like OBS prove that and Blender and all these other programs that are the preferred over proprietary options. But they have one thing different when you think about those projects, Noah, and that's a lot of backing and a lot of support from the community that help them get to that. You know, honestly, you know what? It's interesting you say that because that that is true of almost every project. The notable exception to that, though, is OBS. Uh, I know that because I interviewed those guys when the project was first taking off and um, we asked them, how can people support you? And they're like, yeah, there's probably a way to like donate, but like there wasn't, they didn't really have like a, a you know, a, a clear message. They're in it because they care about the project, not because of not for the money or not because it's supported. And they've created a, a remarkably robust product in spite of the fact that they weren't. Um, That's true. You know, but the reason is now that, Facebook is in and all that. But Yeah. But I, I think one of the big reasons there and differences is OBS was kind of at the pioneering step of the streaming platforms. Yeah. Later, other companies came out like XSplit, and by that point, OBS had corporate sponsorships and everything else that were helping fund the project. Sure. So I, I think that you know they were able to utilize that money to stay ahead of the competition. And OBS is the standard. Doesn't matter if you're on Windows, Mac, whatever. If you're going to stream live, you're using OBS. No, I think and, I think uh, that know. it's I think that you're underselling how much importance OBS had because before OBS there was Wirecast, and Wirecast was an industry standard for years. And OBS just became like OBS kind of wanted they took to them over. Yeah, they took over the interest of Wirecast by a lot of people. And to the point where they did the open source approach, it changed it where because Wirecast is incredibly expensive and still is. So you have this benefit of you, you can get no, so not, much. You know what? OBS. Actually, let me. So not to go on uh, too far off topic here, but th- not, not only are they expensive, but they intentionally situate it such that the the latest version of wirecast is required um to also always requires the a later and later version of mac os and so there's this perpetual upgrade cycle that they have you going through where you just fundamentally get cut off from features and uh, yeah it just it, it just isn't a good experience for people and i think obs did two things right one is it had enough of the basic features when they launched that it was an acceptable replacement and then the other thing i think they did was because it was just free that just goes a long way. People are excited to be able to do something that where they just go, oh, I, I, I can just download it and use it. And they're willing to give that a shot. It, you're right. It shouldn't be taken away from the fact that they overtook a, an industry that a mil, millions of dollars of in, industry and they overtook it with a free piece of software. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to say that because I think that Firefox is in a position to do that, but we do need to get behind them and, you know, kind of rally around them to make sure that it does happen. Because I think that all the stuff they're doing that is like the, the container tabs and on the privacy stuff and all that is just fantastic. And we just need to, you know, rally around. I don't want to hear community. any more talk about brave and other browsers out there. We need to support Firefox and the story. I can get behind that. The Bitwarden is the password manager of choice for all of us here on the destination Linux podcast. Um, we've been using it long before they were ever a sponsor of the show. And the reason we use it is because they approach authentication as a whole. They don't try to break, they don't break things out uh, and try to uh, just attack one piece of it. And so a lot of password managers will memorize your username and passwords. But of course, the way that we authenticate with our banks and other places have a bunch of other security methods in place, one of which is for resetting passwords. Obviously, they'll ask you for additional information. Now, sometimes 
in the case of your bank, because it's financial, oftentimes you'll want to give them maybe more accurate information than you would give other places. But you know, when it comes to signing up for my Netflix account or when it comes for signing into Hulu or something like that, does that place really need my real date of birth? Do they really need to know uh, what city I was born in or what hospital I was born in or what my mother's maiden name? They don't need any of that information. And I would advise you not to give it to them. But if you're going to make up answers, you're going to have to keep your story straight. And Bitwarden helps you do that. Underneath the Login. Of course, Bitwarden is going to fill in all that information for you just with their browser extension for either Chrome or Firefox. But in addition to that, when you go into each one of those entries, there's a secure notes uh, portion of the entry, and that will allow you to store things like security questions. So if you ever forget what the security question to that particular account is, you can go look up and remember that your mother's na- maiden name is Michael Stuhl. That's something that you might forget, <laughs> but with Bitwarden, you're not going to forget what? it. Now you can. I'm sorry, Michael, you interrupted the ad read for something. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, you continue. No, go ahead. It's totally, it's totally the maiden name. You didn't go, want continue. you giving his last name out on the oh, podcast. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, w- I won't do that. I won't do that. All right. So if you're looking for the easiest, most safest way to store your encrypted information, by the way, that's how silly of me. How could I forget? All of this information is encrypted and it's encrypted locally and then stored in the cloud. So even Bitwarden does ha- doesn't have access to your sensitive data. Now you can get started today by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. They're going to get you started for free. Password managers are a great way to balance security and convenience with accounts online. So we invite you to go to bitwarden.com slash DLN, get that $10 premium account with one dollar or one gigabyte encrypted file storage, a two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Dual, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generator, and Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move, like many from the community have, and go to Bitwarden.com/dln to get started for free. If you're like me, though, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for their Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only ten dollars a year. And a huge thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. As has been known to happen in an episode or two, the DLN Triforce has come together to tackle another polarizing topic, and that is the topic of default. So here's the situation. Essentially, every time a distro is released, a distro is a collection of tools and then settings. And as we found out through numerous various distros and the way that they do things, a lot there's a lot of disagreement in what people think are sane defaults. And of course, defaults are something that are important because it's what the user may not know that they can change. And so they may think that that's just the way the computer works. And in fact, for a lot of the people that live their life, they that they just assume that the way the computer was handed to them is the way that the computer works. Exactly. And so default reigns supreme. Default is king. And so today we want to bring some topics up for discussion, whether they actually matter and if they do matter, what the default should be. So we'll start with the probably most polarizing one, and that is um, the default desktop environment. What do you guys think should be the default desktop environment for Linux across the board? We'll start with Ryan. It's already been decided, in my opinion. It's not necessarily one that off the shoot I would agree with. But when you look across the distros out there, your your core distros, the default is GNOME. And I think that is the default DE. Now, is that my favorite desktop environment? No, although Pop! OS is starting to make me change my mind a little bit about that. And I made a video about that this week. But I think it's already been decided. GNOME is the default that should come with distributions at this point, unless, again, a committee that doesn't exist comes together and says, we're all going to now make our default KDE. I think that that doesn't take away the choice that KDE is there and is an option for distros, but the default that 
we should be basically expecting and presenting is GNOME. Why do you think that is? I don't know why GNOME was chosen in its current iteration, honestly. Uh, I And I'm not hating on GNOME when I say this, but when you compare it to one of the big key features in Linux has always been, and one of the things that attracted me, like you were talking about in the intro, is your ability to customize, right? If I don't like a file manager, if I don't like something, I just switch it out and put something else out there. GNOME is one of the least customizable desktop environments I feel like out there. And it's not like you can't go change things, but it's also not extremely intuitive when you compare it to something like say KDE or XFCE or others. It also has some, you know, inherent performance issues that I think don't exist uh, and resource usage that don't exist in other desktop environment. And it has gotten so much better. So don't get me wrong. This is not a, a GNOME hate train. I don't know why GNOME was chosen as the default, why all the big you know, companies and that, that have the largest desktop distros out there chose it, but it is what it is, right? It's, that's what it is. So, you know, when, when, when I watched that landscape unfold, I guess from a third perspective, I guess the way that I watched that unfold, my interpretation was that you had Red Hat that had chosen GNOME for their, uh, their Fedora and then obviously Red Hat and because Red Hat then sent us and all of the other you know scientific Linux and all of the other Red Hat clones canonical the other big major company that 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 sells and supports Linux gets sick of trying to maintain their own desktop environment looks around the landscape is largely gnome and so they choose gnome but I have to be honest with you I've yet to sit down with anybody from Red Hat or anybody from Canonical or anybody anywhere that really wants to have a discussion about desktop environments and make their case for GNOME, um, it seems like it's the 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 people that use it tend to have this kind of like, well, yes, but it it, it never seems like there's they're super passionate GNOME people. And um, I guess as I've gotten in more to the KDE community, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just hearing more of an echo chamber, but it seems like when I got into KDE, everybody invited me over there because they said, listen, all you have to do is sit down and try it. And what you'll find is that everything is so polished and, it, and it, it's so pristine that it will just always work for you. And that promise has time and time again proven to be true. And so I've just kind of stayed there. Um, mm -hmm. I guess, Michael, what do you have to add? You've kind of seen this from both perspectives, and I think anybody that's listened to the show for more than five minutes knows you're a KDE fan, but you've certainly spent a number, uh, a lot of time on GNOME. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on 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 the, the best default desktop environment for, for a Linux distro? Well, I mean, people are expecting me to say KDE Plasma, but I also want to point out that I agree with what Ryan said about how the default is effectively right now GNOME, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best option. But uh, it's interesting because, like you said, I was a lot of people know that I'm a fan of KDE, but a lot of people didn't know that I used to maintain extensions for GNOME. I had about 14 at one time that I maintained. And then when I switched to KDE Plasma, I, I stopped maintaining those extensions and I handed them off to other people. So I, I think that there there is some value in both of these. And I think that the workflow of GNOME is a lot is a lot smoother. And I do like that style. Uh, but it's mostly the problem of the defaults in GNOME are completely ignored by all these distros. If you look at the way that GNOME works by default, it, you can load up Fedora and you get a default mostly from Fedora. Yeah. But if you look at like Pop OS, 
nothing like the defaults. You look at Ubuntu, nothing like defaults. Like there's a significant amount of things changed in GNOME as a default, which kind of implies that people should sure. think about the fact that defaults should matter if all of the different distros are changing everything. And the same okay. thing can be said about KDE Plasma. There are a lot of defaults that are not very good in KDE Plasma, which requires distros to change well, them. So I, uh, so I, I, but if you had to pick a, a desktop environment though today to say this is what I think is the be- that delivers the best possible experience on Linux, what would it be? I think that the best, I mean, for my personal use, the best is, is KDE Plasma. But I'd also okay. say that KDE Plasma requires uh, polishing for it to be a default. Like the way that okay. you look at how Kubuntu works, it is vastly different from the default well, of KDE Plasma. We, well, let's let's dig into a couple of those because I think there's I think there's an interesting discussion to be had. Uh, easy one. Everybody should get this one right. Ryan, single click or double click? I mean, this is obvious. This is, though, before we just run through this, I want to say the reason why it should be double click is because Our, it's double click in other operating systems that are coming yes. the, of people who are coming over. So this is when we talk about defaults matter, we're not saying you can't go and change things That's out right. here. Right. Like you may way prefer be single co- click. Which way it what should work out of the box. Out of the box. That's the important question because if somebody's coming from another operating system, they're already in foreign territory and they're already having to learn a whole new ecosystem. There's so mm-hmm. many challenges we're sticking in front of them. And then you add these other silly little things in here that may be just a developer's preference or something else, but is not the industry standard. You're just creating unnecessary boundaries. Yeah. But people should be using double click anyways. Default is king because it's what most people use. A lot of people don't even bother to change most anything. Like I've actually, when I first sat down at, at Ryan's computer the first time when I when I went over to do some like sort of production <laughs> stuff, it was everything is default. How do you do this? And he was like, ah, eh, whatever, it's fine. Right. So it was just it was just a, interesting because there's a lot of people who are that way who don't want to deal with changing the defaults. And I also am in that position where I would prefer not to have to, but in some cases you have to. Like for example. There are a couple of distros or DEs that come with default single click because it's superior. And that is irrelevant to like, it'll save you a few milliseconds versus the millions of people who are be completely annoyed by the fact that they're having to like relearn how a mouse works. Like, And and it it doesn't save you time because I have to keep closing the documents I didn't mean to open in the first place, which adds at least 20 seconds to the default. Yeah, exactly. And it's the depending on your experience, it's, it doesn't save time. It's, it adds more time. And also, it's just like you're trying to change a fundamental thing. And I just want to give like a, a quick personal uh, experience note I had with someone. And for example, they said, uh, why would I use this if they can't even get the mouse right? That's how important defaults are. If you don't have the right defaults, you're going to push away people from even giving it a shot. And I will even tell you that I was one of those people. You know, we talked about like default DE. I think KDE Plasma 5 is a great DE and there's so many great things about it, but the defaults are just not there. They've they've improved it from Plasma 4 a lot. But back in the day when Plasma 4, I, I didn't want to use Plasma. I, that's, I, was a, I was a GNOME user back then because of how bad the defaults were I then. never knew this about you, Michael. Yeah, you're a I, spy for GNOME. I actually made a video about my top ten reasons of using Plasma, and one of those things I said, uh, "I'm going to admit something to you." There was a time where I refused to use Plasma, and that was that time because Plasma Four, if you want to look at it, 
it's not the good it's not the best looking thing ever it 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 functions super weird and you have this and it's it's just like they have made a a huge improvement over the course of plasma 4 to plasma 5 but there's so much potential with plasma that if they just had better defaults they could make an amazing option and that's all i'm saying is like defaults are super important and we just need to make sure that you present your you know the best foot forward the least amount of effort should be to the people who would be hurt by requiring effort. How, how about uh, how about wallpaper? In fact, I'll, I'll 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 specify this question a little bit. What's your favorite site to get wallpaper from? Well, you know where I don't have to go get wallpaper from, and I do in every single distro. And usually, honestly, I just do an image search for cyberpunk or whatever is on my mind at that time to grab a wallpaper down. But I don't have to do that with Pop OS. It's one of the things I covered in the video. Their default set of wallpapers is so artistic, so good, so well done that there's something there for everybody. And they have, you know, the fun cartoon-like wallpapers. Again, professional artists did them, uh, as well as realistic photography and other things. So when I use Pop, I don't have to go hunting on a website for a default wallpaper. I use what they provide out there, which to me speaks to the attention to detail that you don't really see very often in other distros where I feel like they have community projects like, hey, submit a wallpaper and they just take all of them and throw them in and it looks like that. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point because a lot of the times I look at the wallpaper in a distro and it's like, okay, these are not bad, but they're not enticing for me to use and they're not interesting styles or whatever. But Papa West does have a lot of it and they also have like, you know, cool modifications of like their logo attached to things and the robot concept that they have. Uh, I, I, I agree that Papa West did put a lot of effort into that. And it shows like the defaults matter because you have this this piece of giving these options of having default wallpaper selections where the person wants to customize it, but you don't want to force them to deal with a lot of effort to customize it. But, but you, more important than even that, Michael, is just the ability to right-click on your desktop to change the background wallpaper as a default. Yes. Like These are the things that people are used to being able to do is you, you right-click on something, you're able to change it. I'll give you an example where this really bugs me in most distros as a default uh, when we're talking about GNOME, like even in Pop! OS here, I want to be able to click on the time in a distro and change it from 24 hour to 12 hour or adjust it right there. I want to right click and change it. You can't do that in GNOME. You have to go into settings. You have to go into a separate settings panel and go there. Yet most every other operating system and desktop environment, you right click on time, you get to the settings for the time there. These are the things that I think are unnecessary barriers and frustrations. They're small. It seems minor, silly even, but it frustrates me. It annoys me that something is simple that we're used to in every other operating system they take away or having, you know, minimize buttons. That's, you know, (laughs) something that... You just had to expand your horizons, man. Minimize don't need to... We could just get rid of maximize it too. (laughs) I heard the argument today that the reason why GNOME, and I don't know if this is the official reason, this was just somebody in the community talking, doesn't have minimize buttons is because now it's uh, just as fast to close a program and reopen it since it no, saves the state. The, no, no, and that's the reason, the, no, the reason, the reason that it doesn't have minimized is because GNOME has its own workflow for the way that they, that they, so the way that GNOME designed their desktop environment was around a specific workflow. And so the idea is that if I am switch, I can only do one thing at one time because humans aren't designed to multitask. In fact, all scientific show scientific studies show that when you go from one task to another, you take a 20 minute reset penalty just to get back up to your existing productivity threshold. And so 
there every new task, every new thing that you're supposed to do is supposed to go on a workspace. So why workspaces are dynamic and no, and then you cycle through the workspace to get to the task that you want to do. And now you're free from distractions everywhere else. Minimize only the only purpose of minimize is to stop one task and go to another one. And Gnome doesn't want you to think of tasks that way. But that's, that's only intuitive to somebody who thinks in that workflow mentality. Yeah. Not who already knows what to the somebody workflow is supposed yes. to be. coming from an OS. Like you've You're just right. explained something to me. I had, I mean, I do use workspaces and stuff, but I've never heard that as an argument and nor would new users, which is yep. why You're right. removing minimize is not a good default. Default. Yeah, but there should be. But what, what I guess the reason I point that out is to one of the things I have I have learned is that developers rarely make stupid decisions. Sometimes we don't understand the reasoning behind why developers make the decisions that they do. But there's very few developers that are like, "Ha, huh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this button away because it will infuriate people." And that's have what you I'm not doing. met? Apple I don't. Devs? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think you. you, you <laughs> but, I think you're giving you're giving too much of a generosity of that statement. But so I don't. That they don't make stupid decisions. But there's, I don't think there's that, plenty that do. But I don't think that we have many of those people in the open source community. And so, uh, what what my experience has been that these they they usually have a pretty solid thought train once you take the time to to understand it. Um, I think what where we would leave that discussion or where I'd like to leave that discussion is to simply say that there is a difference between what a user should be presented as default and what you can allow the user to grow into. Having some right. sort of a, hey, here's mm -hmm. a new way, oh, a new workflow, explore the workflow, and then have like a little tutorial that says, click on this button to, to explore the new workflow, and then we'll take away the minimized buttons, but then you switch desktops like this and walk people through that. That's totally cool. And you know what? Yeah. It's the kind of thing that if Apple or Microsoft, they would just hire a person to do that, and we just don't have that they, resource. They not only would hire it. a person, they do. When you get into Mac OS, it walks you through the entire workflow mm -hmm. of using Spotlight and those type of things, and, and it does make a difference because you know Mac OS would be an example of somebody going from Windows to there where your defaults are different. Things are not the same as a Windows experience, but because it does that initial walkthrough, you can kind of excuse it away in in some aspects to say, well, they're taking the time to show you how you're supposed to use it in a different way. And I think you just wrapped up this entire default is king discussion there, Noah, with that by saying that if you're going to try to change things up, you have to make it intuitive so the user kind of understands what you're trying to do here. And the last one I'll touch on is the default browser should be Firefox. We covered that earlier, and I just want to throw that as the last thing. It should always be Firefox, period. So today, right after Destination Linux wraps up, we are hosting a community game fest. So by the time you hear this, you are either a part of the fun or you completely missed it. But the good news is it will be recorded so you can go back and watch all of us having fun if you weren't there a part of it. So for this game this week, though, I have chosen Hellpoint. Hellpoint is an intense action RPG taking place on Irid Novo, which is a real place. Just go look for a map and uh, look it up. It's a derelict <laughs> space station soaked in an intoxicating dark sci-fi atmosphere. Have I sold you yet, Noah? I feel like this is speaking to you here. Uh, you fight dreadful creatures. You face cosmic gods and unravel their twisted story. You can play co-op. So if you get scared, I know you get scared easily, Noah. You like to have a little blankie with you when you're playing scary games. We'll play with you and we'll keep you safe throughout this adventure. <laughs> 1,030 positive reviews on this game. So Hellpoint is a dark and challenging action RPG. It's something that 
people are describing kind of like a Dark Souls in space theme. And if you've ever played Dark Souls, I'm sorry. Um, because <laughs> you probably are a, a uh, somebody who likes abuse. Dark Souls is one of those games that's just extraordinarily difficult. And it's meant to be a game that you die a lot in because you have to learn all these different boss moves and things like that. doesn't seem quite that obsessed, Hellpoint, but if you like that kind of punishment, those type of games, that brutal, difficult game, um, then this game has been described as like a Dark Souls in space. But looks like a really cool game and plays natively on Linux, so what more do you need? Yeah, I, when I, I saw this, it, it to me, it looks like uh, Warframe and Dark Souls combined, sort of. And uh, it looks pretty awesome, like... I, I was watching the like the demo, like the gameplay demo, and the graphics are just fantastic Gorgeous. looking, like yeah. just amazing. And the fact that they have native support for Linux is just awesome. This week on our tip of the week, we're covering and continuing to cover our exploration of the Linux file system. Now, again, this is to kind of give you an idea of what all the files are and where they live inside of your computer. The difference that sem- that separates the samurais from the ninjas or the- is knowing what all those commands that you type in actually do. So, so far, we've covered slash temp, bin, boot, dev, and Etsy, if you missed any of those, we invite you to go back and check out the back catalog of Destination Linux. This week, we're covering slash lib. If you thought slash lib stands for libraries, then you're right. That's where your library files are. Now, libraries are essentially <laughs> shared code uh, between the system. And so if you have a, a, a command that needs to run in the root file system or you need images used to boot the system, all of these things are stored in slash lib. Uh, like uh, slash dev slash boot slash Etsy and slash bin. Uh, you don't want to go playing in slash lib. Leave it alone. Those files are they're, they're automatically placed there, and they'll be automatically removed if they're no longer needed. So you don't you shouldn't have to go in there and play under the hood. But if you thought if you wondered what was in slash lib, now you know. We continue to cover these things, so make sure to check next week as uh, we'll have more for you. Yeah, and you can go in and play in slash lib and delete files out of there if you plan on downvoting this episode. So just something out <laughs> there for those of you who want to click that downvote button. You can just actually wipe the whole... If you really want to stick it to us Linux guys, just go into the root directory and rmtacrf <laughs> slash preserve. That'll yeah. show those Linux guys. Yeah, you'll really show us then. You'll show us. Do that before you click the thumb down button so we know you did it. Right. Yeah, for sure. Take a screen cap. Got him. Ah. Got him. <laughs> Noob. <laughs> All right, up next in the show is the software spotlight. And this week we're going to talk about Pywall. Pywall is a really interesting application because it's a it basically allows you to change colors of applications and like the settings based on images and wallpapers. So for example, it's a, it allows you to scan an image or scan a wallpaper and it will change the terminal colors and it will also change different applications inside the terminal as well as other configurations. So it's not just a terminal based thing, but it allows you to do all sorts of stuff like that. So it's a really cool application. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, then check out Pywall. We'll have a link in the show notes. And also check out the destinationlinux.org slash picks website where you can get all of the links for all of the picks that we've ever done. There's a lot of them. A lot. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux, however you do it. If you want more DL, you need to become a patron like all these beautiful faces here with us today. And you get a bunch of perks like unedited versions of the show. You get to troll Michael. You get to watch us do the show live. You get to take part in the conversations that take place after the show. It's an amazing experience. 
and it's darn near free. And you can you can also troll Noah and Ryan if you'd like to by becoming a patron. So that's a fantastic option. And you can also another great option is to go to the Des- Destination Linux Network store and get some DLN swag. We have T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, so much more, including stickers now. So go check that out. You can go to dlnstore.com. That's right, we made a super short URL to remember dlnstore.com to get your swag of DL. The community is where it's at. Don't miss your chance to become of a part of the deal in Shindig. We have deal in discourse forms. Actually, really, if I'm honest with myself, I could read the list, but you're smart enough to know uh, what all these platforms are. Here's the truth. If there's a platform, we're probably on it. So you just look for Destination Linux. Uh, I'd say the place to start is to get started over on the site. Go join the forms, discuss the show, interact with the hosts. Uh, and then if you want interactive chat, then come over to our Telegram uh, group and <laughs> Nova just gave up completely. It's like I'm not even gonna bother. What I don't know no. what you're talking about. Be the goat no. of what you're gonna be the goat. To say, t- if you want more interactive chat, get flued to our Telegram. Group. Yeah, I just <laughs> I can't. I can't. You want to chat with us? Come I over spent- to the Telegram group. If you want to prove you're a goat or something like that, then you play the games in the Diana Discord form. But here's the bottom line. Like I said, if there's a platform, we want you to come join us. DestinationLinux.network. That's where you're gonna find. Yes. All of the resources for the show. So if you think of a platform and you want to find us, then go over to our website and join us there. And we want to interact with you in the place that you want to interact with us. Help us help you. Join us so we can help you help us help, help you, you help Ted. Yeah. Yes. Ted. <laughs> yes, exactly. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Now, don't go anywhere because we're about to start the game thing. So come and hang out right now. Us. Yeah, right now we're going to do it. So if you if you're watching this on the rerun, sorry you missed, but everybody else, let's go play games. Come on. Let's go fam. Let's do it. I'm a goat. Let's go Greatest fam. Of all time. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Let's yeah. let's jump let's let's jump into the service so we can we can hang out with the squad. Nice. Man, you're hip. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe you can like force kill it. Ah. Uh, one. Oh, yeah. don't try to kill me. Time out. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? He's just time out, everybody. Sound like a good time. I mean, you wouldn't do wrong, right? Oh, I feel like right. somebody yeah. might have wow. got wrecked right there. Oh, oh, oh you're dead. Oh, I'm and so sorry. You're what? dead. What? 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 Nico, you're our only hope. Oh, come on. Nico, really? I think Nico's a double agent. He's oh, just no. shooting <laughs> above their heads. Like, I don't want to hurt them. Uh, it is kind of interesting how everybody, sur- uh, only one person survived. And <laughs> what happens to yeah. Nico? A little suspicious there, Nico. <laughs> Help me. Cloaking. <laughs> 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 Michael, now you can be like um, Linus Jill. from Linus Tech Tips, and you could be like <laughs> dlnstore.com all the time. Oh, Every five Jesus. minutes, you could say no, dlnstore.com. Right. dlnstore.com. You can just randomly do that. you got to plug your own swag now. At some <laughs> point, 